We're in uh, the, next, uh, the next message on this. This is our fourth Sunday, and we've gone through four verses. And so uh, the series is The God of All Comfort. This is part four, and we're picking up in verse five. And uh, this, again, is a passage that is specifically addressing how we have comfort in a world that struggles in specific ways, especially in this passage. Um, what is the purpose of our suffering? And we're not going to go a long ways down in this passage uh, yet today, but we're just going to anchor in this understanding of why is there suffering in the life of the believer and how are we to navigate that, okay? So that's our, our heart's desire as we approach this this morning. So we come this morning to, again, this, this series of comfort. We've been anchoring largely verses 3 and 4. If we can get the theme, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And upon that title, you have what he does based on his person who comforts us in all our what? And we understand tribulation to mean trouble of whatever sort it is, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now we opened the door, we actually got through this message last week, it was the last five minutes that we dealt with this aspect of God's will and purpose in comforting us, that it is, it is something that God uses trouble in our lives that then we are able to reach out into other people's lives and minister to them. And so he says that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, as we step into this passage this morning, it's important to know that Paul is going to identify a specific kind of suffering that he is, he is facing or has faced. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So what Paul is referring to is suffering because of the name of Christ. Now it's fair, it's not unbiblical to understand that this passage is addressing all kinds of suffering, verse four, so that we may minister to anybody in any trouble in which they face themselves. And all I have to do is ask across the crowd, have you faced trouble? Yeah? So we need help. We are created as beings who are ever in need of God's help. Do you recognize that, right? So how, how evident is that? It's so evident that God tells us to lose our identity in Jesus Christ because we need him every step of the way, every moment of the journey. I, I appreciate song, songs like this. You know the song, right? I think it's... Uh, Day by day and with each passing mo. Right, so you know the song, right? Do you need him every day? Right? You do, whether you know, know it or not, you do. Um, but many of us have come to the circumstance where we recognize it. Uh, however, don't you agree it's not just a day prayer that I need you, Lord, but you need him throughout the day? And you need his help as you navigate the circumstances of your day? Uh, you've heard the, the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. But you've gone through seasons of life where it's sweet minute of prayer, next minute of prayer, next minute of prayer. It just doesn't poetically work very well. But you get the idea. 
We need the Lord all the time. Amen. I hope, I, hope, I hope we recognize that God has made us that way. He's made us ever in need of him. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lose my identity in Jesus. Romans 12.1 and 2. A living sacrifice. That we live a life of living sacrifice to the Lord. This, this uh, Galatians 5.16 principle, this I say then, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The idea that you always, 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 always need the Lord. Okay, God has made us specifically to need him. And God also made us to need him in a world that magnifies that need. We are in a fallen world where the sin curse abounds the suffering of the, of the world around us abounds, and we need the consolation, the comfort of the Lord. It's what God designs us to be, that we need him. Now, this passage in Acts chapter 14 that I'm asking you to turn to is a reference point, at least in part, to what Paul would be referencing in his life. You recognize suffering in your life. You recognize uh, pain emotionally or physically. Um, loss of loved ones, loss of health, loss of finances, struggle, discomfort. Someone called this morning, uh, asked if we had crutches. By the way, someone wants to check for me. We need to find out if we have adult crutches on property. It's in one of the storage units. Somebody, if you could check for me. Um, and this is how we are. We are always, always in need. Acts chapter 14, though, is a good reflection point because in Acts 14, you have Paul, and I believe Barnabas at this juncture. I'm getting there myself. Acts chapter 14. And they are doing good things. Okay, Acts chapter 14. There is ministry happening, and I think one of the things that sometimes takes us aback is that we sometimes have bad doctrine in that if I am doing good, I am not going to be touched with suffering. If I'm doing the right thing and I am blessed of God, I'm not going to have um, bad things happen to my life. Now, I'm going to ask you straight up, is, is that good doctrine? Is that good teaching or belief in, in, in your mindset that if I'm doing right and if I'm behaving in the Lord, seeking the Lord, I'm not going to have anything bad happen to me? Is, is that good teaching? It doesn't seem to be according to the Bible. So let's take an exploration into it. Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. I'm going to read from there. there and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother womb who never had walked. Was there a need here? Okay. A physical need? Is this suffering? Fair enough. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. What did Paul do? Saw a need. This man had faith, Paul ministered, and the man is miraculously healed. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Laconia, the gods 
are come down to us in the likeness of men. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Did this go south? Okay. Paul was just doing what God wanted him to do. And was there a misinterpretation of what they were doing or, or who they were? Were they misunderstood? Okay. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they ran their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto who? The living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness, and with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So Paul was doing a good thing and misinterpreted, misunderstood. It goes in a way that deviates from the God who did the miracle. But on this occasion, Paul lifts his voice, and in this circumstance, by the way, who made the circumstance? Yeah, it's God that made the circumstance. So you got this man who's, who's impotent, he's, he's not able to walk, he is, he is touched by the sin curse. God knew that, and God knew his need, and here in his need, he sees Paul, and Paul sees him, and God motivates this circumstance. So what does Paul do? Well, he ministers, but then upon that ministering, and upon the being misunderstood, he now uses the circumstance to do what? To magnify the true and living God. To magnify who God is, as opposed to, <coughs> excuse me, the God that they were worshiping. All right, so is God in charge and God magnifying himself through the circumstance? All good, right? Gets occasion to preach Jesus, but what do we do? <clears throat> read a little further, right? So you read a little further. Verse 19, and they came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. Now, it's interesting statement next, right? Persuaded the people, and what next? Does that make sense to anybody? Do you have narrative there explaining it? I don't see it. You have Paul and Barnabas stopping these people. Now, I don't, I, I'm not a real fan. I, I, we all do it. I'm not a real fan of saying what the Bible doesn't say. It seems logical that somehow in all of this that, well, it doesn't really make sense. You, you have this occasion of preaching God, preaching Jesus, 
pointing out the true God. And then from there, who gets involved? There came thither certain Jews. Now, were the Jews the one that were worshiping Jupiter or the God of Jupiter or Mercurius, uh, the, the priests or the priests of Jupiter, were they, were they worshiping them? Not if they were Jewish. However, they still step in. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. Now, I know that there's more to the verse, but if you stop there, if they stoned Paul, how serious was it? So Paul is stoned. Uh, okay, rock is thrown. Several rocks are thrown. They're beating him up with stones. Is that the intent? No. The intent is to do what to him? It seems pretty obvious the intent was to kill him because they leave him for dead. Supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. By the way, it's a miracle, right? The next day. Stoned and left for dead, the next day he's on his feet. Now, what is that called? Well, that's a good word. <laughs> Revived. I would call it grace. Is grace, this is a weird question, is grace always easy? Is that what grace means? See, you, you and I don't have it because we weren't there. But I want to ask you, what do you think Paul looked like the next day? Do you think he had bruises? Do you think he had open wounds? Do you think he had swelling? Any of you ever wake up, feel like you're run over by a truck? Any of you wake up and the day's hard? I mean, just getting out of bed, you're like, ugh. And look how good you look right now. You made it anyway. So. Good job. Good job. Sometimes, especially if you're married, you can communicate without words. The two of you walk to each other and you look at each other. You don't have to say a thing. And yet there is real suffering. And what I, what I want to do, and I know we're outside of 2 Corinthians, but Paul is referring to suffering that he's had, going back to 2 Corinthians 1, 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Now, one commentary I read gave five different instances of Paul's sufferings. And I'm actually hedging this morning, not going further in 2 Corinthians, because I don't want to steal the thunder of those passages. But all through this, you're going to read about how Christians navigate hard times. And having the reality call that you are going to face them. But how do you face them? So one thing that we learned this morning immediately is coming to know Christ 
does not insulate you from the trouble of the world. As a matter of fact, it's not just arguable, but doctrinally settled. Coming to know Christ is going to magnify a specific kind of trouble in your life. You have a different worldview from the world around you, do you not? You have a different principle or set of principles that guide you than the world around you. You as a believer will always walk around this planet scratching your head saying, the world is just messed up. Well, why is it you know that? Only because of the grace of God. But it is the grace of God that carries you. I want to take a moment and I would say harp on, but preach on it for a moment. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 5. And he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So we have had suffering, Paul says, and he illustrates it, at least in part, by the, uh, the inspired word of God we know in Acts 14, how he suffered, at least in that instance. And what Paul says here next is profound to the life of every believer. What you need to know is that God's grace will always rise to the occasion of where you are. Hello? God's grace will always rise to the occasion of where you are. And that means in the midst of suffering, I imagine in my reading of Acts 14, the next day for Paul, I imagine it might have been hard for him to get up. I imagine there might have been bandages that had to be changed. I don't know what medicinal things were available, but I bet if it was available, Paul was probably using something to help him get rid of pain. I have no idea. But God gave grace to allow him to get up and take the next step. And here's what I want to say about that, folks. We just need to, the reality, the reminder that when you face trouble, God's grace is present because he is present. When you face difficulty in your life, God has not forsaken you. He will carry you. And it's in your need that God will magnify his power. And, and I, even this morning, and by the way, you know who you are and, and I respect it, uh, you know, sometimes, let me ask you, do any of you wish you could do more than you do? Like, man, I just wish I could do, I wish I, I wish I. You do what you can in the grace of God. Amen? You do what you can in the grace of God. None of us can meet everybody's needs. None of us can be there for everybody in every circumstance because many times you don't even know what those needs are. But you do what you can as you become aware. And you leave the rest in God's hand. It's why, he, it's why he made in his design the church, the body of Christ, so that we would minister together to one another and to the world around us. But when you face trouble, it's important to settle back to this fact. God has not forsaken me, and that God's grace is not gone God will get me through this moment. And by the way, I'm gonna say it's a sweet thing to know that that's what God does. I don't need to get myself down to tomorrow's moment. I need to get myself through 
this moment. You know the Bible verse, right? Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So let's not borrow tomorrow's trouble. God help me with today. Amen? Do you need God's help today? Do you? What you learn from Paul is that God's grace meets him where he is. Now, Proverbs 24.10 says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, you know the verse, if thou faint in the day of adversity, how's it end out? Do you remember? If you faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Right? Then we also recognize in James chapter 1 that God uses suffering. And he uses your lack of strength. So take your Bibles to James chapter 1 for a moment. How against human nature this passage is, and only the Lord can work in us to do this. To reckon the word of God to be so, and to do what he says... But in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, let's read it out loud together. James chapter 1, I hear pages turning. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, would you read out loud with me? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Does God on purpose and by design use trial in your life? Yes, he does. Do you want it? Now, come on. No. Lord, I don't want to suffer. Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to go, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. But God is doing something in you. And God has a plan for us and a future for us. Amen? And he wants you to anchor in that. Listen, What does suffering tell you? What does suffering tell you? What does it tell you? That you're human. Yeah, that's true. Someone, what did you say? That you're alive. And you wish (laughs) that you're alive. What does suffering tell you? I think it's, it's, it's very identifiable. The suffering tells us this life is not permanent on this planet. I'm even of the opinion that it's a grace that we don't live like the early uh, beginnings of our planet where people lived 700 800, 900 years. I was talking to my Lydia last night, and it, it's maybe a weird conversation to relay to you, but we were talking about the new bed we've got, and, and I said, 
I said, I hope the bed outlasts me. And she says, well, Dad, I hope you outlast the bed. I said, no. <laughs> and then she started doing the math. If you lived this long, you'd be 135. And I'm like, well, I didn't have to say it. She said, upon saying it, she said, I don't want to be 135. <laughs> now, by the way, why not? Why not? If you, if you could choose to live to 150, do you want to? I'm asking you, do you want to? You're young yet, just wait. <laughs> what does suffering tell you? This is all temporary. It reminds you of what you're living for. It reminds you that not only is this not forever, but thank God it's not forever. It is a, what's the next word? Vapor. Life is a vapor. They're fierce for a little time and then vanishes away. We have this season that we can do something for God and in our deficiency. Does our deficiency matter to God? I'm going to say no, and I'm going to say why. Again, I've, I've used this phrase recently a lot. Little is much when God is in it. God isn't interested in how great you are. He's interested in what he can do in a servant that is available and surrendered no matter how strong or not strong you think you are. He just wants to use you as you walk with him. So God uses suffering, and he tells us in James, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. But it goes on to tell you why, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. So what is patience? Patience is endurance. And let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. God is specifically using that in your life and wants to and will. You're going to need the Lord tomorrow just as much as you need him today. And sometimes you're going to face those tomorrows as they become a reality to you. Guess what? I really need him now. We've been, there's a, a quartet I listen to and the family's been, it's kind of a Negro spiritual, at least the group I've been listening to. And it's, if we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Krista was singing that this morning. Sure do I need him. Krista, stop it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's right, right? We need the Lord. And we sure do need him now. Amen. You think we need him now? Do we need him as a country? Are we messed up? No. It's all working great. I made a mistake and listened to a news report this week. I needed therapy for three days after and still. Listen to all the things you haven't been worried about. Well, how specifically does he use suffering? Let's get back into our passage, 2 Corinthians. How specifically does he use suffering? 
Well, verse 6 says, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. All right, so there's a lot of unpacking here to do. But how does God use suffering? And he says here, and whether we be afflicted, what is the purpose of it? Whether we be afflicted, it is for what? Your consolation. Now, what's the word consolation mean? It's not complicated, but it, it is translated as comfort as well. But consolation has a little bit of another teaching or another word to it. And it, it is exhortation. So it's not inappropriate to look at those words together in exhortation of comfort. To be exhorted to be comforted. In other words, there's teaching involved in the suffering. And in that suffering that you face and others face, there is a... There's a teaching and an exhortation that comes with it. And its end is the grace of God's embrace. Of his holding you, of his being there for you, of his carrying you through things that are hard. And so, specifically, what it means, whether we be afflicted or face these trials or uh, difficulties, distresses, tribulation as it's translated in verse 4. When we are afflicted, it is for your consolation, your comfort and exhortation, that you would know something. It goes on to say, and salvation. So a couple things. When I suffer or you suffer, it is to be used in our lives to be something that is now used by God to bring someone else encouragement, comfort, hope, strength to take the next step. To continue to walk with God. To not despair, to not give up and, and run around uh, in fevered pitch of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, God's plan, God's will is going to happen. God's will has never been thwarted yet. He is able to accomplish all of his holy will. Even in the midst of a sinful world. And even using the sin and the messed up nature of the world, he uses all of that to navigate his plan. And so what it ought to do for us is to help us to have the comfort we need to get through today. To get through today. Listen, folks, I want to encourage you with this. Just get through today walking with the Lord. Are you with me? Let's get through today. Let's get through today. Any of you ever have a physically rough day where you just, you just want your bed? Not right now. Come on, not right now. <laughs> it's been suggested we have recliners in here. If we get recliners, it's going to be one right here. 
and we'll have long services. <laughs> Honestly, so many times I, I will come to that time of going to bed. I'm like, Lord, thank you for getting me through this day. Thanks for your help in getting me where I am right now. And a day can be this, and a day can be that, a day can be this, and a day can be that. But it's all right. It's all right. And you need to know and be reminded that God has got you. And it's okay. You see, we all face different difficulties, and I don't think any one person's difficulty is more profound than somebody else's. God use it, uses it all. And I want you to remember that God uses it specifically knowing that we suffer so that we will be engaged in the process of helping others. So let me ask you, you got people in front of you, beside you, behind you potentially? Do you think they're suffering in that life? Do they need help? You see, it's, it's, like, it's like the runner going around the track. What happens when those runners are going around the track and they're in a race? What happens, especially, especially if it's a marathon? I wouldn't know a marathon because I've never done one. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but at various points, you'll have some, someone along the side, and what do they do? They, they're cheering that person on. Do you realize that's what we do? That's what we do. I'll take someone who's really shy for this illustration. Derek, come on up. <laughs> Melinda, this is your husband here. You can wave at him on. <laughs> so this is, this is literally how we as Christians navigate together. Is Derek more spiritual than I am? <laughs> Is Derek stronger in the Lord than I am? You know, that's not the question. Those questions aren't the question. At various times in Derek's life, as, as I'm aware and able God will put me into a position literally of this kind of thing, coming, coming to Derek and putting my arm around him and loving him and saying, brother, it's going to be okay. God's going to help you. Just get through today. We pray, we love each other, and we help each other. There are times where Derek's going to come to me and Derek's going to be, put your arm around me. Thank you. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> that Derek is going to hold me up. But I'm his pastor. Doesn't matter, does it? This is, honestly, this, this many times how I greet the men of our church. I grab the hand. I hug. Why? It's, it's a comfort to me and a reassurance of love to you 
I, we, we were just in a, how many were in our office, in my office? Four of us in the office yesterday. What did we do? Gossiped. Gossip mostly. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm behind there a were, little bit. I gotta... There were three of us trying to counsel Derek. No. Uh, we, it didn't work. It didn't. Uh, we just loved each other. We just loved each other. And w by the way, it wasn't organized. We just, we happened to be here and, and that's how. But th this, is, this is part of the benefit of coming together. And this message isn't today why you should be at church, but I'm gonna tell you, it's hard to do this when you're not together. It's hard to reach into someone's life. Like, it doesn't mean that's the only way. And I said yesterday, very heartfelt, I love you guys and thank God for you. you. You guys are friends. And I mean that with every fiber of who I am. And it's part, it's part of the grace that God gives me to walk through that moment. Now get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you said that and then we all left very quickly. <laughs> it's, it's the embrace of God's people to comfort each other. I, I literally think it's, uh, it's the embrace of comfort, whether it's physically embracing or whether it's somehow holding each other up. That's what we do and we do it maybe not in the same circumstance of I'm doing that because I went through the same thing, but we're all going through the same thing, suffering. We're all going through the same trouble, a trouble-filled world. Its manifestation may look a little different in your life from the person behind you, but we're all in it, every one of us. And if you wanna know why, unsaved people are so tenacious about their agendas and about their hope, it's because their hope is in this world alone. And that's an ugly place to be. It's a desperate place to be. Because if your happiness is just hinging on what's happening right now, when do you want your agenda applied? Right now. Believers, God has not called us to that. We're called to God's agenda. We're called to God's timing. And in this, by his grace, he's given us a relationship with him where we need him all the time. By his grace, he's given other believers to embrace with us and us embrace them and comfort them and help them and encourage them. Now he says, this teaching of comfort, this exhortation, don't quit. It's something that's necessary. Now he also says salvation. I'm gonna come back to that verse. He says, whether we be afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, he says it twice which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, what is this salvation? Well, there's a disagreement on what's meant in salvation, but I'm gonna argue one side of it, and that is, can God use your suffering to teach people about the gospel? 
Can God use your suffering to make real the doctrine of salvation in someone's life? Yes. As a matter of fact, we hope that's what happens when you go to the doctor, when you go to the medical profession, the hope is there that you'll be able to magnify Christ. And in our present suffering, we point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. And in our weakness, we sometimes, not, not sometimes, we always need the Holy Spirit, but we sometimes need other believers coming along and saying, hey, don't quit. Come on, hang on there. Keep going and know that God can use this in someone's life to bring them to Christ. Now, that's one aspect of this that is doctrinally acceptable with this interpretation and I think fits it. But there is another sense of salvation in this that is talking about the endurance of your faith. And that is, don't lose hope in the strength of your position in Christ while you are suffering. Understand more of what your salvation really is. And by the way, can we all appreciate this this morning? When we think of Jesus being our savior, what is he saving us from? There are usually two answers that are given. What, what, is, what is Jesus saving us from? Many times the answer is sin. Anybody know what the other major answer is? Hell. Is Jesus saving us from those things? Yes. Yes. That's why he's called the savior. But what else is he saving us from? Everything else. <laughs> the world system, the corruption of the world, the messed up nature of the world, the, <laughs> I was quite proud of myself the other day. If, if, you, if you know me, you know that water and I aren't great friends, but I drink water when I have to. But then I also am not a very big fan of vitamins. And I can't explain it, but it's, it's a combination of water and vitamin that when I drink them together, invariably I go, <laughs> it gives me that whacked out feeling. I'm probably, I have not counted how many pills I'm taking right now. A lot of them are vitamins. But I, I think it's, it's, it's probably close to like 12. And I've got the daily thing. I open it up, drop it in my hand. I took all of them at one shot. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> and afterwards, I just went once. <laughs> once, as opposed to 12 times. Jesus saves us from all this stuff. Jesus saves us from a messed up world. We're doing a funeral Thursday. Kevin, your niece has a funeral tomorrow. Now, by the way, we need some help on the funeral Thursday. Um, what all do we need? <laughs> Fellowship Hall setting up eight to 10 tables, someone to maybe make coffee, to maybe make punch, to set out um, tables to serve food on. Need a piano player, got other stuff to work through talking to the family that's working through that right now. All the attention goes to Jesus. We need Jesus to be our savior 
not just for our future, which he is, but our Savior right now. Our help and our hope right now. Now, Romans 5, take our Bibles there for a moment, Romans chapter 5. You see, when he says your consolation and salvation, what a blessing to know as you come to know Christ in your salvation, that salvation as a doctrine is deeper, wider, richer than we know when we first get saved. And it's actually through suffering that God opens the door of understanding of how great our salvation is. For we as believers have hope that is a hope that will be realized, a hope that will happen. And in Romans 5, we read this in verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? That's salvation. We are declared justified by faith in Jesus. And now instead of being a child of wrath, I'm a child who's at peace with God because of Jesus. He took all the wrath for me. He took all the punishment for my sin on himself. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not saved this morning, you can have it. Come to faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. He will save your soul, and he will give you hope that only he can give. But it goes on to say, speaking of Jesus, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory, and here it is, tribulations also, because we know something. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. That phrase, that phrase means our hope is not going to be disappointed, as worldly hope can be. Our hope is nothing to be ashamed of. Why? Our hope is settled and sure. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And of course, there's more. The point is, our salvation means more than we often know. And it is, again, richer and deeper than we often appreciate. And suffering can magnify for us exactly what it means to be saved in a deeper way than we knew before, in a greater way than we knew before. Now, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at us, we are just flying. We're in verse 7 now. 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Paul is saying of the Corinthians about the consolation they want them to have because of their suffering, the encouragement that they want them to have. He says, and our hope of you is steadfast or settled or firm, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. Now, there's a lot in this verse, but here, here are the things to know. On its face, 
Paul is saying, I'm confident of this fact, that whatever you face in suffering, the same grace that God has given to me, he's going to give to you. Amen? The same grace that he's carried me with, he's going to carry you with. So you can be encouraged, you can have hope. Again, it's gonna be okay. God's gonna carry you, right? God's gonna help you. God's gonna get you through. Don't despair, don't be dismayed, don't lose, don't lose focus of the comfort and the embrace of God in your life. Look, we've experienced suffering, Paul says, and I'm confident knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, you are going to be partakers of the comfort as well. God is going to carry you through. So what I wanna say on that before we give another application of this is no matter what you face in life, you can have confidence in God to carry you. No matter where you are, no matter what, and by the way, are there some issues that can be concerning to us? Are there issues that are concerning to us now? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna despair? Are you gonna give up? Are you gonna be fearful? What are you gonna do? What if God calls you to suffer for his sake? What will you do? Remember the context, that's really its most fundamental rooting here is that it's suffering for Christ. Do you think God is preparing us for that? Do you think God is preparing his people to be willing to face suffering? What I'm gonna tell you is that many believers have behaved very badly through this, through this time and season. We've run around and and fear and dismay and oh no. And by the way, I understand there's, there's complicated things. Again, I, I shouldn't have done it, but listen to that news report this week. It's like, I've got an opinion. <laughs> and I'm gonna declare a mandate that you listen to my opinion. <laughs> Choose your words well, right? Listen. What Paul is also saying in this passage, really in verse seven, is not only are you partakers of the suffering, but there's something deeper here. When Paul says in verse seven, our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that you are partakers of the sufferings, he's actually, I believe, calling to mind their fellowship together. That we are in this together. And what he is really trying to say in this is, Look, don't give up and don't quit and don't be in despair when you face these difficult things. Don't get your eyes off of Christ. He has called you to this moment. Stand for him. He's called you to this circumstance. Stand for him. It is... Part of the idea of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 26 and 27, where it reads, and whether one member does suffer, suffer with it, uh, suffer with it, excuse me, as what, and whether one member does suffer, suffer with it, do all the members, or one member is glorified, rejoice. I think that's a different translation. 
I better go there. First Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. Yep, there we go. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you're the body of Christ and members in particular. Of course, that's a whole rich subject in 1 Corinthians. But the idea is this. We all are going to face hardships. We all need the comfort of the Lord. We are in this together. And we need to go through it together honoring Christ. You and your individual circumstance, but us together, encouraging each other. And I believe every time we come here, we are appropriately and rightly a mixed bag. Some are really encouraged and hope-filled. Others are struggling with an issue or many issues. <clears throat> and we come together to hold each other up in Christ. Now the anchor of all this is being certain of this very fact. Whatever it is that you're going to face in life, and it will involve suffering, don't ever lose sight of your position in Christ and his position in you. I'll end the message today with where we began. That God's grace will always meet you where you are. His grace will always rise to the occasion of your need. In this room, there has been much suffering and much difficulty. If I was to call out your name, there are some that are suffering with diseases that don't have a name or manifestations of physical struggle that haven't been identified by the medical profession. In this room, there are people who've had their houses burn. In this room, there are people who have lost their loved one. Last night, again, I, I know I, I should be done, but I, I, I illustrate this. You know, I, I, I thought about this last night. We, we have bought a new bed for our house because I'm trying to get out of the hospital bed, back up to the bedroom where I can be with my wife. And now we are in that old, we're, we're in that phrase, uh, a phase of life now where we have a split king. And what that is is basically two twin mattresses next to each other. And la I don't like it. I, I was thinking, I, I really wish we could all, we could be on just one bed surface. But it was a comfort to me last night to reach over in my bed and put my hand on my wife's shoulder. And I just had my hand on her shoulder until I thought, I'm probably keeping her awake. I probably should stop. But I had the thought, you know, it won't always be this way. She won't always have me or I won't always have her. But thank God I do right now. Some of you are widows in this room and I know what I'm saying right now is frankly painful. But what gets you through that? There's only one that can carry you, and it's God. 
And he will. He will carry you. So this morning, we've been called together to praise and adore our great God. Is he worthy of it? Do you think the God that offers us this kind of comfort is worthy of our praise this morning? So let's do that. Let's trust him. Let's love him. Let's be hope-filled in him. And can we do this? Thank God for the grace that allows me to take my next step as long as God gives me breath to take a step. When he no longer wants me to take the next step, what happens then? There's rejoicing in heaven over the death of one of his saints. Until then, don't quit. Until then, keep on. Run the race that God has had before you. Endure to the end. It doesn't matter if you limp your way to the end. You stumble and fall and you get broken along the way. Keep on. Do what you can. God's grace is going to help you. God's grace is going to carry you. And I'm just going to selfishly say as the message is done, I'm glad for one, not only that we have the Lord to do it, but I'm going to selfishly say, I'm glad we get to do it together. It's heartwarming to me. That we get to do this together.